it's a really beautiful day right now. Sunny, bright, warm, birds chirping, everything as it should be. And that is really funny to me because two weeks ago, I was watching my husband ice skate down the driveway, trying to get to one of the trees in our front yard, or should I say the remains of one of the trees in our front yard, which was snapped in half by the ice. The ice was so heavy in the leaves that the tree toppled over. And yeah, we had plenty of food, firewood, and fortunately our power stayed on. But through all these ice storms, there is one thing I've learned you really cannot underprepare for. You'll be sad if you do. Hey, next time, let's make sure, um, you know, we have a variety of snacks instead of just the same brand of bread and, and butter that we were using, you know, things like that. Yeah, I know if the ice storms have taught me anything, it's you cannot underestimate the value of snacks. <laughs> They're so important. It's always when the power's out and there's ice everywhere, you suddenly want like a little little Debbie or some random thing you haven't wanted in years. I don't know what it is about the ice. It makes you want everything. Snacks aside, the winter weather we had in Texas two weeks ago raised a lot of questions, especially since this is the third straight year we've had at least a few days of being iced in. I'm Bailey Friday, and Texas wants to know, should we prepare for these ice storms to be an annual thing? Winter weather events, of course, in the DFW area are extremely tricky. And that's what we saw with this past one. It was it was no different. That's Eric Huttmacher. He's the director of Ditton County Emergency Management. The trickiest part of this last uh, winter weather storm was, if you recall, it wasn't a forecast to occur until Monday afternoon. And I'm walking out to my work truck at 6 a.m. and there's ice. So, okay, well, we had a 3.40 a.m. phone call where the, the forecast was still on track. And then we, uh, again, fast forward to 6 a.m., and actually, the ice hit Tarrant Parker in Denton Counties right about 6 a.m. That storm arrived for most Texans on Monday, January 30th. It left ice on the roadways through Friday morning. And many businesses and most school districts were closed for four full days. Travel around most of the state was dangerous. In some places, like where I live, it was impossible. You just could not get out on the roads. Here's KRLD's chief meteorologist, Dan Brunoff. What caused the freezing rain and why did the temperatures stay below freezing for so long? Well, typically it's winter and all sorts of things have to come together for, to wreak havoc across North Texas when it comes to wintry precipitation. Um, it depends on the temperature, of course, right? The road surface temperatures, the track of the upper level low, and also how much precipitation are we going to have and the most important thing besides the temperatures are how fast is the upper level low moving? Does it cruise across in 24 hours and we're done? Or does it stall to our west like the storm system did at the end of January and early February? Temperatures dipped below freezing Sunday night, January 29th, and they stayed there until Thursday, February 2nd. That is more than 80 hours below freezing in North Texas. Now, 80 hours, honestly, that's nowhere close to the record of 295 in 1983 or the 232 of 233 below freezing we had during the devastating snowstorm and power outages we experienced two years ago. But 
it was still significant enough to leave roadways nearly impassable for most of the week. So, for example, this uh, past winter briefing included that it's a going to be a La Nina winter, which statistically speaking is going to be warmer and drier. However, that's you know just guidelines, right? And Mother Nature likes to do whatever she wants to do. We got La Nina, which is an equatorial Pacific. That's when the ocean waters cool down a degree or two for La Nina. And that typically gives us drier than average weather through the entire year and above average temperatures. January was uh, in the top five or six, I think, for the warmest Januaries ever. And that even factored in the one or two days of cold weather that we saw at the end of the month. El Nino is going to slowly come back into the fall. And typically we see below average temperatures and above average precipitation. So hard to tell what next year is going to be like as far as the winter weather. But precipitation is good, but not when it's cold. But it seems just from my own recollection with La Nina winters, uh, we usually get one or two really big cold snaps. And some of the coldest weather we felt since La Nina and El Nino have been tracked were during La Nina events. They say once is a fluke. Twice, a coincidence, and three times is a trend. Winter storm Uri in 2021 and a three-day ice event in February 2022 preceded this year's storm. This is the third year in a row in which we've had a winter weather event that has closed schools for at least three days. Do you think the state or individual district should start to look into ways to keep students engaged? I truly do. It's far past time that we reckon with the changing climate. You know, and it's going to make our weather more severe and erratic. And so we have to be prepared for that. But it can't always be on the back of our school districts. I am Rena Honey, president of Alliance AFT. The local and state governments are going to have to do their part to be prepared and to make the important investments in what it's going to take to make sure that education can happen, no matter what the area is or what the things are, they have to recognize this doesn't seem to be going away. There's a consistency that we've seen, as you've said, over the last three years, and they have got to be prepared so that the work can continue and the learning can go on. I know so many components and factors go into the decision of whether or not to close down school, Could schools face any consequences if they decide to open in dangerous conditions anyway? And what would those be? Well, there are all kinds of consequences that could happen, I believe. Number one, it would be if there were tragedies that took place, then I believe that the parents and families of those that experienced that would probably go to the courts you know, and try to get some relief that way that would never bring back anyone, but to at least know that hopefully that would cause people to stop and think and hopefully keep that from happening to anyone else. So there are lots of liabilities to consider, lots of, especially in your larger districts, how things work for those parents and for those families and the students themselves. What is the impact, though, for students of losing four days of school from a learning standpoint and in terms of how it affects their routines, too? Any kind of disruption is not good, you know, especially for our students that find it very difficult to make changes. A lot of our students with special needs 
they are dependent on those routines, those repetitions, things like that. But when the safety of not only the students and the families, but of the staff, when those are considered, you really have to take all of that in. And the pandemic forced most school districts to equip themselves for remote learning. So why don't we see districts using those tools on these bad weather days? Well, I think there are several things to be considered. Number one, people are just exhausted and they need that time to recoup. Although it wasn't planned, I know for educators that I talked to, they were like, I am so grateful to have some time to just be able to relax. I am exhausted. Time to spend with my family that I can't do during the regular time. Time to rest and recoup and rethink some of the things they're doing in the classrooms. And for the kids, they're excited to see ice and what they think might be snow, you know, and so having that time, those are teachable moments for families to be able to explain how those happen, what you can do, what you need to be aware of. So it's just a time that I think people needed to be able to just take those four, three or four days and say, let's just do what we need to do to make it better when we return. On top of lost hours in the classroom and dangerous roads, there's also a major economic impact that comes with the state's infrastructure grinding to a halt for days on end. My research group has been studying the critical infrastructure aspects of communities when it comes to these natural hazards that turn into disasters. I'm Ali Mustafavi. I'm an associate professor in the Zachary Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Texas A&M. We are interested in developing data-driven models that can provide decision support tool for decision makers, city planners, infrastructure owners and operators for understanding where the vulnerabilities in critical infrastructure are and prevent those vulnerabilities uh, so that they can protect communities in, in the context of different types of hazards, including flooding, uh, winter storms, etc. Let's say if you have, if you're talking about like a, like an urban environment, let's say like a big cities in Dallas or Houston, if you just close the express lane, it would have a tremendous economic impact. That's Ali Najat, a professor of civil engineering at Texas Tech who works with Mostafavi on his research. So just to give an example, I know that there was a, a projection of the revenue that is normally is being created by having those express lane running. So I know that based, based on this estimate that we had in 2016, I think uh, the figure was close to 18 million for a quarter. That means a lot. I mean, when you think about it, that you just close an express lane for like a couple of days, that would translate to thousands of dollars in terms of the revenue that it, it can create and uh, generate. The impacts could be at different levels on, on households, on businesses, and specifically on certain vulnerable populations. So some of the uh, you know impact points that we have studied in our uh, current and past research involves, let's say, disrupted access to critical healthcare facilities. These events uh, highly impact the operation of these facilities. Can we quantify that reducing cost? Yes, but even from a uh, you know societal perspective, a one kidney failure could be catastrophic. 
this year's winter weather didn't cause the kind of power and water disruptions we saw in 2021, but it was not without its own infrastructure problems. Most of those came in the Austin area, where at one point nearly 150,000 people were without power. Having been in their shoes, I can tell you, definitively, that sucks. Only this time, it wasn't because of the grid, but because of the weight of the ice leading to downed power lines, tree limbs, that kind of thing. I know that there have been talks about like burying those transmission lines, but it is not as easy as what one uh, might think. So there are a lot of challenges. So there was an estimate about like what uh, would be the monetary value. A rough estimate was that it would cost prob probably a million dollars for every mile that you would like to do that. And of course, there are ways for us to find out whether it would be worth uh, to, to do it for the community, depending on the vulnerabilities and then like how the, the population is being distributed. Inaction is costly. We've seen that in the previous winter storm. We've seen that in this one. And if you just think about, okay, this events happen only once in 10, 20 years, that just promotes inaction. So we need to change of uh, mindset and um, look at these events as more frequent and think about the impacts of those. It's impractical theoretically impractical to make the infrastructure uh, fail safe. But we have to make them safe to fail. By safe to fail mean we have to have a level of disruptions that's tolerable for the community, that the services could be restored within a reasonable amount of time. Have y'all kind of learned each time we get iced how to better prepare? What are some of the things y'all have learned through experience? Through experience, it's coordination of resources and the process of how we get those resource requests. Typically for winter weather, that's gonna be treatment of roadways. And we work with uh, TxDOT, of course, has their plans to uh, treat our roads throughout North Texas. And of course, in Denton County, what we try to do is coordinate with them and our local jurisdictions so they will be focused for example on you know 35 or um, whichever roadway they might be focused on well then what we'll try to do at the local level is make sure that the roadways leading up to 35 are treatable and uh, they're treated and, and passable as best as we can of course we'll always have public messaging to go with that and, you know, if you can stay off the roads, we recommend that you do so. Ah, those icy roads. Even after the precipitation falls, many Texas roads remain frozen until the temperature climbs back above freezing, which, as we've established, did not happen for days this time around. TxDOT, what they'll do is they are the experts in what they uh, will treat the roadways with and when they will, for example, move from brine to sanding operations, something like that. Uh, those decisions are made within those local agencies and with what the impacts that they are seeing, again, with what they're, I guess, observing uh, on the roadways, right? What they do in, in return, though, is they let us know, hey, we have transitioned from brine operations to sanding operations, and they are able to keep us you know, involved and in the loop as far as that goes. What that also tells us, too, is that in some cases, especially for these multiple day events, some of those resources, we just try to make sure that they, we still have on hand. So uh, sand in the DFW region, a requested resource towards the you know, third or fourth day of uh, constant sanding operations. So those are the other things that we do. We work with our state partners, Texas Division of Emergency Management, to process those state resource requests through other state agencies such as TxDOT. 
after the state contended with a major ice event for the third straight year, Dan says it's something we should get used to, not just with winter weather, but all sorts of weather events. Storm systems uh, may be getting a little bit more intense, especially hurricanes. And, you know, you get a degree of, of the temperature of the earth warming. Uh, it makes a huge impact on storm systems because they feed off the energy. So the little warmer we get, yeah, sure, the stronger the storms can be. I can't tell you when they're going to happen, but best advice, check the weather when you wake up, check the weather when you go to bed, and be ready to go with an emergency kit at home. Supplies that you may need just with a sudden impact of storms. Going back to the snacks, after me and my husband were basically stuck in our house for four solid days eating peanut butter and jelly and whatever else we had, soup, cans of beans, the one thing we wanted when we could finally drive again, Whataburger fries. It doesn't get more Texan than that, right? I'm Bailey Friday at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thank you so much for joining me on our podcast, Texas Wants to Know. If you like the show, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Chris Blake and Savannah Jones, original music by Michael Eisenstein, editorial support from Cooper Mall. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan. <laughs>